you're in Acts chapter 1, say amen. amen. All right, let's read verse 15 through 26. This is uh, a message that I titled the first church business meeting. Don't be nervous, it's not going to be bad. Verse 15, and in those days, Peter stood up. Stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had attained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity. And falling headlong, he bur- headlong he burst asunder in the midst, and all his bowels gushed out. If you want to know what that's talking about, he hung himself. He committed suicide. Verse nineteen, and it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, insomuch as that field is called in their proper tongue, Ak- Akeldama, that is to say, the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, "Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein." And his bishopric, or his office, his position, let another take. Wherefore, these men which have accompanied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. As they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed. And said, Thou, Lord, which knoweth the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. So to give you a brief summary before we jump in, Judas was one of the twelve original disciples of Jesus. Many of you would be familiar with the fact that Judas sold Jesus out. He betrayed him. He gave him over to the Roman soldiers for only a few pieces of silver. And then Judas couldn't stand himself, so he went out and hung himself. Well, at that point, they knew, based on the word of God, they knew that they needed to replace him. With another man out of this 120 people assembly, they needed to replace him as an apostle. And that's what we're going to study today. It's really the first church business meeting. Many of you have heard of the great baseball player, Babe Ruth. He was the great home run hitter for the New York Yankees. During one particular at bat, the umpire, Ralph Pinelli, called Babe Ruth out on strikes. As soon as he called him out on strikes, there was this stunned silence in the stands. So Ruth turned to Pinelli, the umpire, and he said, listen, there are 40,000 people here who know that last pitch was a ball. The umpire replied, well, maybe so. But mine is the only opinion that counts. We live in a world of a thousand and thousands and thousands of opinions. Right? There are experts in every field imaginable. Just go to Facebook. You'll find them there. But whose opinion really counts? Who has the authority that matters the most? This little text that we're going to study today poses that question specifically for the church. What has the authority in the church? When there are decisions to be made. People to appoint. What has the authority? Who's the umpire? Think about it. There are 120 followers of Jesus that made up this assembly. 
at the first church business meeting. That means there were 120 opinions. You ever been in a board meeting and everybody had a different opinion? Well, whose opinion in this assembly mattered the most? Who had the authority in the room? It used to be Jesus. But he's nowhere to be found. He just went back up to heaven. Studied that last week. So who gets to say what happens in the church now that Jesus is gone? Is it the Apostle Peter? That's what some think. After all, he's the one that stood up and took leadership. He led the meeting. Plus, Jesus made a remark earlier that Peter was going to be a vital part of building his kingdom. Maybe he's taken Jesus' spot. Maybe he's the umpire. Maybe he's the authority in this church. Yet when you look at Peter's speech, which we'll study today, you're going to realize it wasn't Peter that bore authority. He wasn't the umpire. Here's how I know. Because he didn't speak his opinion. He spoke the word of God. Verse 15 and 16, it says that Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples, all 120 of them. And then look at the first part of verse 16. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled. He didn't say, listen, I got to give you my opinion today. No. He didn't say, hey, I'm in charge. Everybody look at me. This is how it's going to go down. No. Peter quoted the word of God. That's what this text is meant to show us. Not how to appoint our own apostles. Apostles don't exist anymore. There's no need for that anymore. That's a whole other message for a whole other time. But the offices in a church now are pastors and deacons. So we're not not taught here, how are we going to appoint an apostle when one kills themselves? It's not going to happen. But what we're supposed to learn is how Peter led this business meeting Guided by the authority of scripture. Think about this for our church. We have over 400 people here. That's a lot of opinions, y'all. One person is quoted as saying, where two or three Baptists are gathered, it seems three or four opinions are in the midst of them. And maybe that's why God gave us the record of this first church business meeting. Because he knew that in every church there would be decisions to make. And there would be people with emotions involved in making those decisions. And maybe God wanted to show us that it's not really the people that have the final say in the church. It's not the pastors. It's not the deacons. It's not the appointed trustees. They're not the umpires here. The word of God is the umpire. The Bible is the real authority in a church. Now a pastor's uh, opinion might carry some weight and a deacon's and trustee's opinion, they might carry some weight. But it's the word of God that carries all the authority. So I need you to, I need you to study the word with me today. Because we're going to break this text down into two parts. First, we're, we're going to study Peter's speech, which bears the authority of the word of God in the past. Watch here, I'm giving you a preview. He's going to go back in the Old Testament, in the book of Psalms, and he's going to show the church how the word of God was fulfilled through Judas' betrayal of Jesus and through his death. He's going to show the authority of the word of God in history past. But then he's going to quote another psalm at the end of verse 20 that he's going to use to guide this church in their present circumstance and instruct them in regards to who should replace Judas as an apostle. So, So Peter, watch this, he's going to show us That how the word of God bore authority in past history is how it should bear authority in our present circumstances. Let's study together. Heading number one, God's word had authority 
in the past. So we read in verses 16 through 19 where, where Peter said the, the scripture must be fulfilled. And then he went on to give this testimony of Judas who killed himself when he couldn't live with himself after betraying Christ. Now, Peter isn't giving this testimony uh, to rejoice in Judas's death. He's giving this testimony as a way to prove the authority of Scripture. He's saying this, the psalmist actually prophesied that in sort, this would happen. And it did. He's quoting in verse 20. Look at verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no man dwell therein. He's quoting Psalm chapter 69. Look at the screen. This will be on there. Reproach. The psalmist is talking. Reproach hath broken my heart. I'm full of heaviness. And I look for some to take pity, but there is none. And for comforters, but I found none. They, they gave me also gall for my meat. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. Let their table become a snare before them, and that which should have been for their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, and make their loins continually to shake. Here, here's what he quoted. Pour out thine indignation upon them, and let thy wrathful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate, and let none dwell in their tents. The writer of this particular psalm, study with me, is King David. He's referring to the wicked men of his day who were his enemies. And he's declaring judgment on them. Now Peter takes the psalmist's judgment on those men and he applies it to Judas, who was a wicked man towards God's ultimate king, King Jesus. Do you see the correlation there? He's saying the word of God has spoken in history past. Years ago, there were enemies to the king And they were made to be desolate in their habitation, which simply means they were deserted and left to die alone. And that scripture, Peter is saying, has now been fulfilled in our day, in Judas's betrayal of Jesus as well. He was an enemy to our king and he was made to be desolate in his habitation. He was deserted in that field and left to die alone. Do you see how Peter is establishing the fact that the Bible has been true in the past? It's credible. It's authoritative. The Old Testament pointed to Christ's betrayers being made desolate. And it happened. But that's not the end of Peter's speech. Because he wasn't just showing the church of how the Bible had authority in the past. He's going to use the word of God as their authority in the present. That's our second movement, because the last phrase of verse 20 is an entirely different psalm that Peter quotes. He says this, and his bishopric let another take. In other words, Judas died. He left his office or his position of being an apostle vacant, and we must replace that. And he based that thinking on Psalm 109, verse 8. Let his days be few and let another take his office. So he uses the word of God as an anchor, as a guide, as a GPS of sorts to lead the church in what direction they should take. He says, here's what we need to do with this psalm. We need to appoint another man to take Judas's spot. And then Peter goes to give these qualifications. Verse 21 and 22. He says, okay, here's the qualifications we need to be careful about when we're appointing the next guy. And he said that, That this person must have been a part of Jesus' ministry from the very beginning with the baptism of John all the way to his resurrection where he was an eyewitness and now to his ascension. Those are the parameters 
Those are the requirements for this next guy. Now, we're not for sure where Peter got those requirements. It's not mentioned by Luke explicitly. Many take for granted that it was during this 40 days, chapter 1, verse 3, this 40 days that Jesus was teaching them about the kingdom of God after his resurrection. It was during those 40 days that Jesus said, okay, you're going to have to appoint another apostle and here's what you do. But we don't know that for sure. We know that these were given to Peter from Jesus himself. Nevertheless, here's the greater point I want you to get. Peter expressed the authority of God's word, both in the outworking of historical events and also in the outworking of present decisions. Let me show you one more thing to prove this. Look back at verse 16 in your Bible. We're going to look at brackets. We're going to look at at how the, the start of Peter's speech is bracketed and the end is bracketed with the same thought. Men and brethren, this scripture, everybody say the next word out loud. Must needs have been fulfilled. Go to, go to the end of his speech in verse 22. Beginning from the baptism of John, under that same day that he was taken up from us. Next word. Must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. Do you see this? The front of his speech said we, the scripture must be fulfilled. And here's how it's been fulfilled. The end of his speech The scripture told us we need to get somebody to take Judas' spot and we must obey the scripture. It's bracketed with this thought that the scripture was the guide for one of the most important decisions they made as an early church. Here's the essence of the text. The same authority God's word has over history is the same authority it must bear in our present lives. Just as this group of 120 people anchored their decision-making in in Scripture, we must do the same thing in our church and in our lives. This isn't an ancient book for generations past. This is God's authoritative word for us today. We must look at the Bible like Peter did, as the umpire in our decision-making. And then like Peter, we must needs obey it. That means in our church, the word of God should always have the final say. That's why we preach like we do here. I don't read you a portion of the latest self-help book every week. I don't give you a list of my personal opinions on all the hot topics in our culture today. I do my best to stand before you with the word of God week in and week out. Same with our pastoral staff members. And we with passion and clarity declare, thus saith the Lord. Because this book is our authority. This is why we preach through the books of the Bible in sequence like we do. It gives us the the best chance to preach the word of God as it's laid out in its context and with all its authority. That's why we have connection groups at 945 where people get together in smaller groups around the building like we did this morning. And we don't just talk about our lives together. We actually talk about God's word together. That's why we have a Sunday morning preaching service and a Sunday night preaching service and a Wednesday night preaching service. Because we need to be exposed to God's word. This is why our kids aren't just having fun in children's church today, though they are. It's why our youth aren't just hanging out upstairs on Wednesday nights, catching up with their friends. More importantly, our kids and youth are getting preached and taught the word of God. Why? Because it's our church's authority. Let me say this, though. The word of God should be your authority outside of this church as well. 
The Bible should govern your life week in and week out. So let me ask you this today. What commands has God clearly spoken in his word that have yet to be fulfilled in your present obedience? You got the first part of Peter's speech wrapped up. Yeah, yeah, this book's true. It's proven. I can show you like prophecies and all this stuff. Like it's accurate. It's true. But you don't got the end of his of his speech. Is it true in your present life? Is it being lived out in your present life? They say there are over 1,000 commands in the New Testament alone. The command to pray. The command to share the gospel. The command to give generously through the local church. The, The command to be committed through membership to a local church. The command to be actively involved in the mission of your local church. The command to love your neighbor as yourself, to love your enemies, to forgive those who hurt you, to love and respect your spouse, to train up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Mark it down. God's word has something to say about every area of your life. Here's the question. Do those commands have authority in your life today? Is this book the umpire for your decisions? Are there still commands in scripture that have yet to be fulfilled in your present obedience? Now, sometimes things aren't fulfilled in our present obedience because we're still learning, right? You're you're still growing. That's why we have Fellowship 101 and 201 and 301 for new members and new Christians because we understand that sanctification, this act of being brought closer and closer to God is really a lifelong journey. And and I meet people often where where I'm counseling them and, And it's like their eyes are open to this thing they've been doing or a way they've been making these decisions. It's like, man, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. Thank you for teaching me that. Sometimes your disobedience um, is because you just don't know. But let's be honest, sometimes it's because we know and we just don't do it. Sometimes it's because we don't have that same conviction that Peter had that we must needs obey the word of God. Yet, there's a bit of tension in the rest of the story. Because the only thing God's word was clear on was the fact that they needed to replace Judas with another man and what the requirement should be for that apostle. But, but the scripture didn't spell out who the exact replacement was supposed to be. Which tells me this, while the commands of God are always clear, the specifics and what we do with those commands are not always clear. There's not a thou shalt or thou shalt not for every single thing in your life. Let me give you some examples. The Bible's clear on the command to share the gospel, right? We studied it last week, verse eight of chapter one, be witnesses to to everybody. Tell them the story of Jesus Christ. But when is the best time to share the gospel? What exactly do you say in each gospel conversation? Who in your life right now is ready to hear and receive the gospel for our church? What's the next outreach event we should do as a church? What missionaries should we choose to support so they can help us reach the uttermost parts of the earth today? The Bible doesn't tell us those specifics. The Bible does command us to bring our children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. How many believe parents are supposed to raise their kids in the Lord? But the Bible doesn't tell you where to send them to school. Homeschool, Christian school. I know of a good Christian school. Public school. The Bible doesn't tell you what social media apps you should allow them to have on their phone or not. The Bible doesn't even tell you if you should allow them to have a phone. Healthcare decisions for our kids. Decisions regarding who they hang out with. The Bible commands a church 
for, for how it should run and be operated. The church should be run by elders and served by deacons. Elders meaning pastors. Church is supposed to be made up of saved, baptized believers. The mission of the church is to take the gospel to the world. The main focus of our gatherings is prayer and the ministry of the word. Those are all clear in scripture. But the Bible doesn't tell us exactly the names of the next deacon. Or the next trustee. Or ministry leaders that we need to appoint. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what budget center we should make a cut in. And and which one we should bolster with more funds. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly what our service schedule should be. It just said that we should assemble together. But we don't assemble together at Sunday morning at 1045. Because the Bible told us to assemble at 1045. I've always thought 1045 was weird anyway. 945 connection group, 6 o'clock, used to meet at 6.30 for years, met at 6 o'clock. I didn't change it to 6 o'clock because the Bible told me to change it to 6 o'clock. That just happened to be more convenient. The point is that while there are clear commands and scriptures that we've got to obey, there are not always clear specifics in what we do with those commands. That's where the rest of the story helps us. Because it gives us two practical ideas for how we can still make the word of God our authority even in areas that aren't clearly spelled out in Scripture. Here's the first. Look for biblical parameters. See, in verse 23, they said, okay, we've got two candidates, Justice and Matthias. But wait up. They didn't start with two. They started with maybe over 100. How did they get it down to just two guys? Well, because of the clear parameters that they had been given. That, that the people who were, who, who were proper candidates for, for apostles had to be there in Jesus' ministry as eyewitnesses from the time of John, John's baptism all the way through his resurrection and ascension. Do you see what they did? They used those parameters to narrow down the decision from maybe 120 to two. And that is so encouraging for me in my life because there are some decisions I make and it feels like I have 120 options. I could spend my, my money in 120 different ways. There's often more than a few options when it comes to what might be right for my son, Kevin, in certain circumstances. In our church, there are more than just a few men that would seem to be good choices for leadership positions. There's more than a few options for how we can best reach our community. That's when we go to God's word to see if there are any parameters that can help us narrow down our options. And here's what's great. We often go to God's word and see in principle and and, and in parameter form these these teachings from scripture and the epistles and and, and principles from even the Old Testament narratives that that drastically narrow our decision down, that, that, that narrow the options and make our decision a bit easier. Let me give you an example. Our church... Um, has had to hire pastoral staff. I call them elders. God called pastors. We've had to hire pastoral staff as we continue to grow. I imagine we'll have to hire more pastoral staff. Our church has also had to appoint deacons. Imagine as we grow, we'll have to appoint more deacons. But how do we narrow that down? Well, 1 Timothy chapter 3 gives us parameters. No, it doesn't tell us by name who we should elect or appoint or put on a ballot or higher, but it tells us that the qualifications for an elder or a pastor and their wife are this, and the qualifications for for a deacon and his wife are this. And so if you're wondering why I've never been asked to be a deacon, you might look at 1 Timothy 3 and have your wife look at it too. Those are parameters. 
That takes what, what, what would be a big pool of men in our church that are faithful to church and serve in church and give in church. And it looks at them and they're wise and, and it kind of narrows that down a little bit. Do you get it? Same thing might be true in your own life. How do you respond to a difficult situation at work? The Bible doesn't spell it out. How do you spend your money? The Bible doesn't spell it out. What school are you going to put your kids in? The Bible doesn't spell it out. What job opportunity are you going to pursue next? The Bible doesn't spell it out, but it gives biblical parameters, which tells me this. If we're going to rely on biblical parameters to narrow our options with important decisions in our lives, hear me, you better know the Bible. Right? You better know where to look in Scripture. Or who to talk to, to help you look in the right place in scripture, to narrow down your options. Based on your knowledge of the word of God today, could you sit your spouse down and show them from the word of God some biblical parameters for your next big decision? Based on your biblical knowledge, could you sit your kids down and say, no, we're not going to do that, sweetheart, we're not going to do that, son. Because the Bible speaks of that right here. Could you do that in your own life? If a big job opportunity came tomorrow, do you know your Bible well enough to be able to search for the things that aren't necessarily labeled thou shalt and thou shalt not? You got to know biblical parameters will help you make wise decisions. But yet here's what we see at the end of the story. They didn't elect both Justice and Matthias, did they? Are you studying with me? Did they elect both of them or did they elect one of them? Who was it? Matthias. Which tells me that sometimes, sometimes even two options are too many. Sometimes you can't make a decision between two things. You've got to pick one. What did they do in order to narrow that down to Matthias and not Justice? Could you imagine what might have happened or could have happened? I know it didn't happen, but could have happened. Someone could have stood up and said, hey, I got a word. I like Matthias. I vote Matthias. I make a motion. Matthias is the guy. And Peter said, why? Because Matthias dresses nice. Matthias is a generous giver. Matthias has a gentle disposition. I vote for Matthias. Can I get a second? And somebody stands up and objects. No, I vote for justice. Why justice? Peter says justice is bold. Justice is courageous. Justice is outgoing. We got persecution coming our way. He'll look it at in the face and he'll preach. Thus saith the Lord. That's the kind of guy we need right now. We just saw a, 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 a traitor hang himself. We don't need another one of those. Give us someone that's tough. Give us someone that's strong. We want justice. But that didn't happen. You know why? Because they weren't basing their decision on human reasoning. They weren't basing it on opinion. They weren't basing it on personality. They weren't basing it on who they liked in the church. They weren't basing it on their own bias. Their authority was still the word of God. But what if the word of God wasn't clear with those two options? Here's what they did. After they got done looking for biblical parameters and they narrowed it down. Number two, they sought God's guidance. How did they do it? Well, verse 24 through 26, as we read earlier, here's what it says they did. They prayed and they cast lots. They prayed and they cast lots. Now, we still pray today, but we don't cast lots. You might think of casting lots as rolling the dice. That's oversimplifying it, but that's, that would be kind of what it is. It's kind of a risk. Like, okay, if I get an eight, then I'm going to take eight steps forward. Well, there's not an eight on dice. If, one die. If, if I get a six, I'm going to take six steps forward. This tells you I just don't play die, man. I don't go to the casino. That's not my game. Um, anyway, 
They, we don't cast lots. And by the way, you won't find a record in the New Testament or in this church after this point where they cast lots. The reason is because in the very next chapter, we'll study next week, the Holy Spirit came. And now the Holy Spirit was going to lead them in all truth. We have the Holy Spirit plus the Word of God to lead us in all truth. We don't need to roll dice. We don't need to pay rock, paper, scissors. We don't need to wait for a fuzzy feeling on the inside. We have the Word of God. So they prayed and they cast lots. Casting lots in their days would have been equivalent to what we would call today following God's providence. Praying and then asking God to provide in natural means what he thinks is best for us. So let's talk about prayer for a second. When is the last time you spent a season of prayer before you made a big decision? Now, I know that sounds like Christianese and it's like all Christians do it. But believe me, all Christians do not do that. There are a lot of people that think they have to make a decision right now. And there are a lot of people that think they have enough human reasoning and enough life experience and enough discernment to make it free of prayer. Maybe a courtesy prayer, God help me to know. God give me peace. God open doors or close doors. All those, all those fancy prayers. But not a season of prayer saying, God, show me the way. That's what they prayed. God, show me. God, show me. Don't, don't go make a decision without asking God to show you the best option. That's living your life independent of God's leadership. But notice this. After they prayed, they did not all sit around and wait for a warm, fuzzy feeling. You never read in this chapter once, we're going with Matthias because we feel peace about it. Never, you never, we say that a lot. I don't know where it comes from. We say it a lot, though, when it comes to decision making. They didn't say it once because they weren't relying on a feeling. They cast lots. They were looking for the providence of God. Now, what does that look like for us? We pray. Watch here. And then we wait for God through natural means to show us what is wise. So I pray. And then maybe God's going to use a sermon as his way of providence. We don't have to cast lots. We have the word. I pray. And then maybe God's going to use a counselor in my life. A godly, trusted person. And I ask their opinion. And what they say, it's like it rings clear. It makes sense. This is God's providence for you. You're going to pray. And then after you pray, God's going to work together these unfolding circumstances that begin to make it clear what path you should take. But if you don't pray, then you don't give God's providence a chance to show you what's wise. If you pray and then just act like you're going to get a feeling 24 hours later, which I don't know where that comes in Scripture... Then you're going to go make a decision and you're going to cloak it with this. I prayed about it. Watch here. Don't use I prayed about it as a shield. Don't use it as an inappropriate way to justify what you're doing. A lot of people say when when they're questioned about a decision from a pastor or from a parent, they say, oh, I prayed about it. I prayed about it. Well, that basically tells the person who just asked you, shut up. Don't ask me any more questions because I'm I'm, I'm holy. I'm 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 a Christian. I I pray before my. No, 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 no. I want to know, have you prayed about it? And how has God provided clarity to you? What biblical parameter? What agreeable counsel? What definable circumstances in your life has God? How many days have you waited for God to show you what's best? Or is it human reasoning and your own discernment, your own cleverness, your own experience? You see the difference there? This is what we do when, when things aren't clearly spelled out in Scripture. Nobody stood up after that prayer and said, I got an announcement to make. You'll never believe it, but I just got this warm, fuzzy feeling that swept over me. 
And I need to announce to the church that something whispered in my ear, Matthias is the guy. It didn't get weird. Nobody over-sensationalized this. They followed the providence of God. And that's what we must do. And let me be clear. There are times when we pray and we follow the providence of God. And, and your, your options are not going to be between good and bad. Often it's going to be between good and best. And sometimes, get this, it's not even going to be between good and best. It's going to be between best and best. Which means this, both options are okay. I know for you perfectionists, it's hard to believe that. But it's true. Sometimes God is so good that he gives you more than one good option. And so if you're like, dude, I can't get this wrong. If I get this wrong, it's going to alter the trajectory of my life. And then I'll never have kids. And if I have kids, I'll never meet the right person because I moved there and I did this. And No, don't get crazy about it. We're not rolling dice. Sometimes after you've done all the homework, you'll figure out A and B are both really good. And I'm going I'm to do what's best long term. Do you get what I'm saying? Your, your mistakes along the way of God's providence for your life and God's plan for your few mistakes along the way will not thwart God's good purposes in and through you. Don't be scared of that. God's bigger than that. Doesn't mean we willfully disobey his will and then come back to this sermon I preached and said, yep, God's big enough, he can overcome my mistakes. Well, he is, but we don't do that just because of that. But don't be paralyzed by these decisions you have to make because I don't want to make the wrong choice. If you've got a couple good options, then you just do what's best for you. What's best for your family, what's best for the church, whatever. And you follow God. Does this make sense? Yeah. So the first ever church business meeting in scripture. It didn't go how a lot of business meetings go today. You know why? Because it wasn't about personality, opinion, or bias. It was about the word of God. What they did was anchored in the word. They weren't pragmatic. They were biblical. They recognized God's word as it bore authority in the past. And because it bore authority in the past, it should bear authority in our present decisions. Let me ask you today, is the word of God your umpire? Is it calling the shots for you? Are there any clear commands of scripture that aren't being fulfilled in your present obedience? Or maybe there's something that's not clear in scripture. You have to make a decision soon. Look for biblical parameters and seek God's guidance through prayer and following his providence. Would you stand to your feet?